0: Well, good morning, Heights family. It's good to see everybody here today. Good to have those of you joining by the live stream. I know everybody popped up out of bed this morning into this searing heat and said, let's get to church. The pastor's talking about politics. I mean, doesn't that just get us all excited? Man, I, what do we want more than politics in church, right? I, you know, I think my first, I was trying to remember what my first brush with politics was. And I, I don't know my exact age. I think I was five or six, maybe. But we were living in Charlotte at the time. And uh, my mom took me downtown because there was going to be this big parade come through. And in the parade would be the president's motorcade. And uh, I remember standing there on the side of the road and, and President Nixon went by, waved at, called my name, Randy. You know, just it was so exciting. And, and you know, I remember my mom, I was the President of the United States. And don't know, I was entirely sure what that even was, but it seemed pretty cool. You know, and then, and then I also remember not long after that, that uh, just about every adult in the world was tuned to the TV on something called Watergate or... Something like that. I don't know. Maybe you've heard of it. Uh, first election that I voted in was Reagan and Mondale. So added that up. That's nine elections. I've I've I voted in many more than nine, but I I voted in nine presidential elections now. And you know, if you stop and think back over elections, they all kind of end up getting kind of a, a character quality to them, don't they? You know, there'll be an event. Uh again, there's just this quality that kind of marks that campaign and you'll like, oh, I remember you remember that and they did this and that big statement. And uh, when I think back over all the campaigns, there is one that just stands out far and away to me than the others that is absolutely unique, different, no second place for me. And believe it or not, it's the last one. And I don't think I'm saying that because it was the last one. Uh, I, I do believe there was just absolutely something in this campaign that was unlike any other. And, and believe it or not, it doesn't have to do with Clinton or Trump. It doesn't have to do with a, a, a policy or the party platforms or any, anything like that. When I think back on this election, the thing that stands out as so unique, as so different, is the anger and the vitriol of believers toward each other about this election. I, I mean in, in the media, in public, of course I think social media is what allowed all of this, but but everybody's saying who they were voting for and why they were voting for it and what values should be driving and, and, and if you don't see this like I do, I I question whether you're even a believer. Now I know that kind of stuff has always gone on. I just Never seen that much of it. And and such anger and and divisiveness there uh, throughout our culture. And and so, you know, as I think about coming into a message like today, I would be thinking about, hey, how are we going to move out there into the world, out into our culture, out into, into politics and affect it for good? And now I'm more wondering, how do we remain we? How do we be a we as we move out into our culture? I I am talking today about how the resurrection helps us navigate, gives us wisdom, gives us power at dealing with politics. And and I kind of, I really enjoyed, I have these little jokes that go on inside my little mind, you know. I I kind of enjoyed on Easter Sunday announcing that we're going to be looking at the resurrection in politics. And then just watching people try to figure out, do do those two things go together? Can you discuss? I mean, those are two pretty different things, aren't they? Uh, They're like different worlds. How would you discuss those together? But you know, folks, I believe, like I think a lot of you believe... That God's word speaks to every single area of life, doesn't it? It gives you and I, the believer, everything we need to move into any part of life, any relationship, any issue, it has for us what we need. So we shouldn't be surprised that it speaks to government, that that it speaks to politics, because this has such a profound impact on our lives. We should be expecting God To to speak to this and and, and, and to address it. And and so we, uh, I think we're going to find the scripture to say that it is our biblical responsibility to be thinking, praying, and working at how we can influence government. And, And you know folks, I think, I don't think this is how we often feel, but I think today as you look at that sentence, you and I should be tickled, just giddy, that we get to have an opportunity like this. And and here's why I say that. Because do you realize the follower of Christ in North Korea, that's true for him or her too. The, The person who's following Christ today in Syria also has to be thinking about their biblical responsibility to influence the government. And when I look at what it means for them to figure that out, I realize that you and I are just having a party. I mean, we're just doing this on a cakewalk. This is fun for us. Let's not bemoan. Let's be thankful that we can gather as a body of believers and work through something like this, think through something like this. Even if we end up in a disagreement, hey, be grateful you're not trying to figure that out in Syria today, right? All right? So now, where do we start in in a discussion like this? Well, I think kind of the, the first building block is just to remember, to acknowledge that God made nations... And God made governments, I, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I want to say, right, maybe we know that, maybe we don't. But that's what the scripture teaches, is that, 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 that the borders, that nations were pulled together, created by God, that the governments that would won those nations are put there by God. They're his. And so since they're his, since they're his design, well, then now it becomes kind of an obvious step to say, well, what does God have to say about that? What, what, what does God have for me, for you as a believer as we try to figure out how to live in, how to live under a, a particular nation or how we live under a government? Now, while I say that's kind of obvious and, oh, yeah, that's what we're all going to do, it, it's not obvious at all. I, I actually think the tremendous majority of believers would absolutely prefer not to do engage, not to discuss with politics at church. As a matter of fact, we would, if we perceive a church to be political, most believers in America will not, will not go to that church. We don't, we don't like to see those two brought together. And there's a variety of reasons for that. I mean, one, I don't want no preacher telling me how to vote. I, I get that. I don't want a preacher telling me how to vote. Think of what that kind of tension that puts me in. You know, I think maybe another reason is uh, ignorance is bliss isn't it? I mean you think about it, folks we we've, we've all gathered here today over several services over a couple of uh, campuses and and you know we unite together and we we call each other friends and we smile and we look at each other and really all that i mean granted we all we're all followers of Christ believe in Christ or are seeking that idea trying to unwrap that idea. So that brings us together. But I'm not talking about just coming to a church. I'm talking about you. You came here today. And and so we've all kind of just agreed on a few things. You know, we like the music. We love the preacher. Holy cow. How do you get better than that? You know, we love the preacher and, and probably. No. Okay. OK, yeah. Yeah, I, know, I do too. I do too. I get it. So, you know, and then and then probably, I mean, think about why people go to church. It's the music, it's a preacher, and then usually maybe there's some ministry, right? Partic- depending on where you are. I like the children's ministry or, you know, I like what they do with missions. It just takes two or three things to kind of pull us all together and be friends. As long as we don't know what's really going on in each other's lives, right? Because then we can get a little frustrated. Like when I find out that your vote canceled out my vote, I'm going, What? What the heck is wrong with you you know or, or or you're rallying for something I'm rallying against and see what social media has done is it's kind of put all that in front of us hasn't it and all of a sudden I realize these people I'm sitting in church are idiots what is wrong with them but it's all funny but it's it's not actually funny it actually makes us angry. And we really do start thinking, how could you, why would you? And we'll start questioning how you can be a Christian and, and think that way, vote that way, be, be involved in that. And, and so I come back to, hey, listen, if church doesn't engage in that and talk about that, if we all just agree we're going to shut Facebook down from, from, well, for two years leading up to any election, you know, then we can just all go back to being happy and just loving each other at church. You know, I, I think maybe another kind of I would say a little bit more positive reason, a real functional reason of, of keeping politics out, is, is, is it's hard enough to keep the main thing the main thing, isn't it? Hey, the church, we're in the business of the gospel, right? We're not, we're not in the business of that ugly stuff, politics, and all the, the messiness of that. See, there's all kinds of reasons. Good reasons, bad reasons, right, wrong, what, whatever. The only problem here is God called you and I to engage he called you and I to engage individually, and he called us to engage as a group. You see, when I make this statement that the resurrection gives us the power, gives us the wisdom to navigate last week, relationships, today, politics. When I say that, you know, part of the way you're trying to link that together is when I say the resurrection, you're thinking about an event, right? You're, you're thinking about the, there, there was a Sunday morning, and, and Jesus rose again. And we believe that. That's our great hope, Right? Okay, but what does that have to do with with voting and all that? Well, think about what all the resurrection means. And it means a lot, but I'll tell you one thing it means to me is it means He's the Son of God. And if He is indeed the Son of God, then everything He says kind of rises up to a new level. And a whole lot of what He said was that everything in Scripture is true. And so now because of the resurrection, I go back to the Bible with with a greater sense of confidence, a greater sense of faith in the power and the truth that it has for me there. And that power and truth engages me, engages us in politics. Are you aware that when we we open our Bible, there's whole books in there that are about an individual believer's engagement with the government? I, I mean, I think of Daniel, Esther... Nehemiah. I mean, those entire stories of of those three individuals are of their engagement with with government. I think of Paul. You know, we think about his his missionary journeys and traveling all over the world. And we think about what he wrote. Well, think about how much of what's being discussed about Paul, what's being written by Paul or about Paul, is about his relationship with local officials, with a governor, with a king, and ultimately even an emperor. I mean, it, it's all about involvement with the government. I open up my Bible and 1 Timothy chapter 2 says that I need to be praying for my government, for my leaders. I need to be praying that, that they create a, an environment that's as conducive as possible, as easy as possible for me to follow Christ. Now, the challenge you and I have is to be faithful and committed to follow Christ no matter the government, Right? No matter the environment that they create. Again, think of that follower in North Korea today. That follower in in Syria. They've got to be faithful regardless of the environment. But it's okay for us to pray. God, would you give us a government? Would you give us an environment where it's easier to do that, right? Romans chapter 13 says, I'm to honor God the government. I'm to obey the leaders. Now just put all these ideas together. How can I genuinely be engaged with my leaders, praying for them, praying about them, praying about the environment that they put me under, thinking about how I honor them, how I obey them, while at the same time I'm saying I just would rather stay kind of distant from all that. I want to just kind of, I want me as an individual, I want us together just to be a a little bit aloof from all that. There's no way God's called us to get too engaged there, too involved there. Matthew 5. Matthew 5 says that you and I are to be salt and light. Both of those words are words of influence. Influencing individuals, influencing environments, influencing a world. How can I move out into my culture to be an influence, but I'm going to stay aloof from one of the biggest influencing mediums in society, the government? Matthew 5 says I am to do good. I'm to do good. Well, how can I move out there to do good, but I'm not going to care about government that impacts that good or, or it creates the good that then needs to be done or fixed? I mean, there's just no way to do that. I, I would say based on Matthew 5 alone, it is biblically negligent of any believer to not be continually, constantly thinking about how they engage culture, how they seek to be an influence. In every area of life, government, school, the workplace, I, I, I mean wherever and whatever, we're to be thinking about how we have that influence, how we make that difference. That's what we're called to be. That's what we're called to do. There's no way to say I'm going I'm to stay apart from all that but still be able to do all that. Now, I've been throwing all these verses out. Let, let's, let me slow down a little bit now, and let's actually engage with those verses. Let's see not, not what Randy Hahn is saying, not what a, a church is saying, but listen to what God said. I've got a few verses, and they're all kind of short in nature, so I put them up here on the screen for us today. Matthew chapter 5, you are the salt. That's you, folks. It, the address isn't salt. 17201 Jefferson Davis Highway is not the salt of the earth. This building is not the salt of the earth. You, you, that, that's what God's calling you to be and do. Every one of us, hey, how was I salt this past week? What does salt do? It flavors, it permeates. You know, a big purpose, of course, before refrigeration and what they would have been thinking of is salt kept away rot and decay. Did you do that this week in your workplace? Did you do that this week at school? Did you think about that in your neighborhood? How am I holding at bay rot and decay? How am I influencing for good so that it flavors and uh, uh, and affects the environment? You, you, you are the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world, man. You're showing people the way. You're pointing to it. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and put a nice plaque on the wall with your name on it. No. No. Folks, you and I are to be heavily engaged in doing good works for a single purpose that prayerfully, hopefully, somewhere at the end of a day, after they have felt and seen and experienced our good works, they end up looking up to heaven and saying, Thank you, God. I, I praise you. It just makes zero difference if they end up praising me, but it can change their lives and their eternity forever if they look up to heaven and praise God, right? You see, this becomes one of our motives of anything we move into culture to do. When I vote, when when, when I rally, when I march, when I get involved in the community, when I move out there to do good, it's ultimately so that God is praised. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10, a short verse. I'm going to read it and we're going to come back to it in a moment. For we are his workmanship. We were formed and shaped and molded and all put together by God. We were created in A little word, two letters, but it's huge. We were created in Christ. You're formed, you're fashioned, you're molded in Jesus for good works. You were literally created to make a difference in this world. You were created to affect eternity. Now that happens in Christ. Outside of Christ, it won't happen. We're going to come back to that. Uh, Next verse. First 1 Timothy chapter 2, I urge that supplications, prayers be made for all people. Man, we are to be praying for all people. All, all people everywhere, kind of general. All the people in our lives. But man, as we're praying for people, let's think about what affects all people. And that's government, right? Think of how many things people are dealing with because of something government has done. Again, mostly in America, that's not near as serious and severe as it is in some other countries. But everybody's affected by government. So since we're praying for all people, obviously we need to be praying for kings and all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. I didn't put verse 3, I should have, because it goes on to say, For this pleases God. When this is what you're praying about tomorrow morning, when, when this comes across your prayer desk once, twice a week, man, it just blesses God. He just, God just feels good watching you care about that, watching you pray about that. It says, this pleases God who desires all people to be saved. There again, a, a consequence, what I'm hoping of my prayer, of my good works, is that people end up seeing Jesus as their Savior. So we now have two. We have two motives for every vote we give, for everything we do, for everywhere we go to, to make a difference in our culture. And I'm going to say this over and over throughout the morning. I'm just going to warn you now. Our, our two motives for everything is that God is praised and people see Jesus as their Savior. Amen? We believe that here, don't we? I, anything I do tomorrow, I want God to end up being praised, and I want people to consider Jesus Christ as their Savior. Romans chapter 13, verse 1 Let every person be subject to governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Now, that's a, boy, that raises a lot of questions, doesn't it? And that's not what my message is about today, so I'm not going to deal with all those questions. But here's the good news. Here's the good news. Because your person is not in power, because your platform didn't win, doesn't mean God's not answering prayers. Doesn't mean the world's going to hell in a handbasket. Doesn't mean the whole thing's out of control. God allows things, and they will ultimately serve His purposes. And as I read Scripture, His purposes always revolve around good and just and righteous. Okay? So, rest. Relax. It's not the end of the world because your platform, your party didn't win in a certain election or, or at a certain time. We rest. Hey, ultimately God is in control and his will is still going to be done. Amen? Amen. So we have, we have these passages. We, we believe these things. They, they, they give guidance and direction to us. So let me go back to Ephesians chapter 2. So it said in verse 10 that I was created in Christ Jesus good works what's interesting about that is the nine verses prior to that explain how i am not saved by good works well wait wait which is it am am i saved by good works or not Uh, listen very carefully we're not saved by good works we are saved to do good works do you hear the difference? You understand there? I'm not saved by my good works. I'm saved to do good works. Why am I not saved by my good works? I mean, that really is kind of the thinking of a lot of people. It, it's kind of natural. I may mean, not do enough good things, and God's happy with me, and He, he lets me in, right? I, I, I've got to do enough good. You ask me, why do you think you're going to heaven? I'm trying to be a good, a good person. The only problem is, and you can do good things without being in Christ, but you're dead. No, I'm not. I'm sitting here today breathing, eating, enjoying life. No, you're, you're, you're dead. Ephesians chapter 2 explains in, in great detail that you are dead in sin. So you can't produce anything of value because you're dead. It's not that God is, is up in heaven pouting. It's not that God is up in heaven saying, well, I, I, don't, I don't care about the good you're trying to do. Well, I, I, I'm just not going to acknowledge how, how good you're trying to be. No, it, it's, it's that you're dead. And that's why Jesus comes along in John chapter 3 and says, Hey, you really need to be born again. You, you gotta be born. No, again, see, because physically I've already been born once. I have a physical life. I do physical things. I can affect physical things, but I haven't been born spiritually. I'm dead spiritually. I'm dead spiritually because of sin. And Jesus says, Hey, I want you to count. I want your things to make a difference. I, I, I want you to live eternally. And God in his, and this is the big word all through Ephesians 2 God in his grace. Not because you deserve it, not because you're owed it, but because God is kind. Because God is merciful, because God is gracious. He has moved and worked in a way that you could be, here's the word again, resurrected. You, not just Jesus, you could be resurrected out of that death and sin. You could be resurrected and have a new life in Christ. And now that you're alive spiritually, guess what? You can now live for what God created you for. You can now do good that lasts forever. Do good that not only affects the world, but even affects heaven. So I've got to be born again. Hey, let me ask you something. If you're here today and you're not sure that you're born again, because that's kind of a real simple, I'm either am or not. There can be a process of searching, a, a, a process of understanding. There can be a time of asking questions. But I mean, ultimately, there is a point where you have been born again. You, you either are or you're not. And if you've got questions about that, want to talk to somebody today, there's going to be an opportunity. At the end of our service, right out in the center of our concourse, there's a desk out there. There's some folks that are waiting to talk with you. Answer your questions about how right now today you can be born again. Because why would you ever want to live a single second dead? Why would you ever want to live a single second where what you're doing doesn't count? Man, I, I, I want to be in Christ living out what God created me for and that is to do that good. And we do good, folks. We do good when we pray for our leaders and the environment that they put over us to follow Christ we do good when we honor we show honor and respect and we're thinking about how we obey we do good when we move into our community and we meet needs and we make things better right we're, we're doing good when everything we do our motive is that what God is seen and glorified and people consider taking Jesus as their savior right that's the good that we want to be. That's the good that we want to do. That's the good that lasts forever. Now, how do we do that? As a matter of fact, I think a lot of us feel somewhat overwhelmed that it's, you know, it's getting harder and harder to do that in our culture. And by the way, that's next week's message. But, but you know, how do I move out into culture to be that and, and to do that? But I want to go back to what I said a moment ago. I'm not as concerned right now and maybe this is just because we're coming off the last election, I'm not as concerned about how we go out there and face the world. I'm a little bit more concerned about how we stay a we. And so I want to give you four, four points, quick ideas uh, of how I, me, my, how I can navigate my political good. And, and I think in the my, we're going to see how we stay a we, okay? So a couple of quick ideas as we try to move out into our culture to be salt, to be light, to do good, to engage as God has called us to do. Number one, I need to make sure God's word is shaping my views and values, Right? You know, just because I'm a believer and just because I periodically open my Bible does not actually mean that God's word is shaping and building my values. That, that, you have to do that on purpose. You know, we have friends, our friends that influence our lives. They, they shape how we look at the world and they, they have a chance to do that every single day, don't they? The media, we we let media outlets into our lives, various media kinds, and we let them into our lives and they shape how we understand, how we look at events and people and things going on. And as they shape how we see it, how we understand it, that's pretty important because that ultimately affects how I'm going to respond. And friends and media and a whole host of other things will continue to influence me. The question is, am I letting God's word influence me? Am I giving God's word a daily opportunity to shape and influence my life? Am I doing that on purpose? Hey, I'm doing this. I'm thinking this. This is important to me. This is a priority to me. Why? Can I take it back to Scripture? Did Scripture build that? Is Scripture pointing that out? So I want to make sure that what I'm building in my life is built by Scripture. Number two, with that Scripture, then engage in the political process. I, I hope you've seen that already from God's Word today. You and I are called to be a people who are involved. We're not just living for ourselves. We're not just living to survive the pain we've been through. We're not just living to pay the bills. We're living, what do we, we were crafted in Christ, right? We were crafted in Christ to move out into the world and do good. Get involved. And here's the good news. Do it in an area of passion to you. What makes your heart beat? What makes your eyes cry? What do you desperately want to see resolved and fixed in the world? You know, we'll have different reasons for that. Sometimes maybe we've been so blessed in something. We've had such an advantage at something. We want others to have that. We want to affect things so that others have that. I I tell you where a lot of passions come from is where we've been hurt. Where we've been attacked, where we've suffered, and a lot of us will move. I mean, I don't want somebody else to have to experience what I've experienced. I, I don't want that to happen to somebody. So we will we'll move in than that to a, to affect some kind of change. But but whatever it is, man, find the area that you, I want to make a difference here. I, I want to do good here in this. And then obviously, then I'm going to start thinking, okay, what difference do the leaders make? Do the laws make? To, to different policies make? And how can I affect those? Dial in on something and go after it all along the way, making sure that the Bible is ultimately defining that, right? I, I want to make sure God is shaping and influencing where I go. Now, the big one, number three, and this is the harder one. Have your passions. Now, that just that's just a repeat of number two. And allow others to have theirs, even if they're in disagreement. Now that, that is the hard part, right? And and, and I want to before I tell you what I mean by that, I want to tell you what I don't mean by that. I don't mean that we don't confront wrong. And there's wrong in this room, right? I mean we're not nobody here's perfect. Nope, nobody starting up here, nobody's perfect. I I can think a wrong thing, I can move in a wrong direction. I mean, and there's a variety of reasons for that. And one of the reasons life is better connected, if I'm all out there on my own and I start thinking wrong or moving wrong, I could sail for years in a wrong direction without anybody saying, hey, stupid, don't do that. Oh, yeah, I guess I should. See, we need each other for that. We're, we're supposed to confront. We're supposed to challenge. Proverbs says, iron sharpens iron. We're, we're to make each other better. But really, my, my point here is, is, yes, hey, listen, we need to be there for each other, challenge each other, think about, hey, why are you doing that? Why do you think that way? But I also fear, folks, that sometimes you and I can get so caught up in being angry at each other, fearful of each other, frustrated by each other, that all of our efforts are on each other. And we stop moving out in the world to be salt and light and do good. And I I really felt like, and this is just an opinion, you you, you can dismiss it. I just really felt like that's what's happened the last... 6 months to a year as we just turned in on each other and, and we were how could they do that how could they vote like that how could they think like that was wrong and and the more the devil gets us turning against each other guess what we're doing less we're we're doing a whole lot less of going out to be salt and light and and at the bottom of the day at the end of the day what I rest in is this Romans 14:4 4, who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another it's before his own master that he stands or falls Listen, I, you know, I might think you're wrong. And again, when I say wrong here, folks, we're not talking about sin, right? We're not talking about things that the Bible, black and white, says this is, this, is, this is wrong. We're talking about ideas. We're talking about ways of doing things. When we disagree, I might think you're wrong. I might think you're horrible. I might not understand. But guess what? You're not my servant. You don't answer to me. You do answer to God. And what I need to rest in, what you need to rest in, is if I'm wrong, God sees it. And, and God will deal with it in his time, in his way. And sense. I can, I, see what, what happened? Now? I can rest. Man, that, what you're doing, what you're thinking, that, that frustrates me, that, ma- that makes me angry. But you answer to God. So I'm going to leave you there. And I'm now going to turn my attention to moving back out into the world to be salt and light. Because at the end of the day, I want God to be glorified and people to see Jesus as their Savior, amen? And not a whole lot of people are going to end up praising God and taking Jesus as their Savior when we're making each other afraid and fearful and worrying and attacking and and fighting each other and challenging whether we're even believers because of who we vote for, okay? One more, number four, our engagement with politics should have as its primary purpose to obey, to obey, When you vote, when you rally, when you march, when you serve, when you help, when you get involved, you should be able to draw a direct line, not an indirect line. You should be able to draw a direct line. This is how this helps me obey God. This is how this helps me pray for all people Pray for the leaders over those people. This is how this helps me honor. How this helps me obey the government. This is how this helps me move and do good. Good defined by God. Good that results in people praising God and coming to see Jesus as their Savior, right? We should be able to draw everything we back to do to how we are obeying Scripture. Because, folks, when we are a we, we are incredibly powerful, there is no greater force of good and for good in this world today and for the last 2,000 years than the church. Do not believe the revisionist lie that, that, that the church or, or religion in general is, is the source of every war. We're not even the source of 10% of the wars. I said 10%. I didn't say 0 We're not even the source of 10% of this world's, this history's wars. We're not the source of every person that is oppressed and hurt and destroying. We're not the source of every problem. That's just not true. Now, here's what they beat us up with. Not every page of our story is exciting, right? We've got a few pages. Can we rip that one out? What were we thinking? What were we... Sometimes we as individuals... And boy, sometimes when we as individuals get together and together we go astray, together we move in a wrong direction, it can end up being a little bit of a, of a bad spot for us. And the world loves that because they'll pick that up. Look, 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 look what, look what religious people do. Look what the, the church does. But folks, even those moments, most of them grossly exaggerated, even those, those moments are far outnumbered, far outweighed by the good that the church has done. There's nothing in the world that has fed more people than Christians. There is nothing in the world that has brought health and healing and well-being to more people than believers and followers of Jesus Christ. And a lot of the good that the church has done has been political. As, as moved by the Holy Spirit, committed to make a difference in 374 A.D. It was the church. Can you imagine this? Only 300 years After Jesus Christ ascended into heaven 300 years earlier, a group of 120 that were getting fed to lions, that were having their heads cut off, and and that were just being killed left and right and persecuted. And yet 300 years later, it was the church in 374 AD that led the Roman Empire to prohibit and outlaw infanticide and child abandonment and abortion. It was the church in 404 AD, and guys, you might not like this because it's made some great movies for us, but it was the church that led the Roman Empire to outlaw gladiators fighting to the death. The church did that. It was the church that had that. It was the church in India in 1829 that finally led to the prohibition of widows being burned at the stake after their husbands died. It was the church in A.D. 1912 in China. The church is in China. The church has been profoundly in China. And the church moved there to prohibit, to bring a prohibition to the crippling and painful effects of binding women's feet. It, It was the church that did that. And folks, while there have been Christians that have owned slaves, promoted slavery been negligently silent during slavery, those Christians are an incredible small percentage. The vast majority of the church has moved to end that. And it was the direct work of believers under the power of the Holy Spirit that brought an end to slavery in the Roman Empire, the British Empire, and yes, in the United States. It was the church, believers convicted, that moved to stop that. There is no greater force for good in the world than the church. Now, you and I would say, well, wait a minute, there's there's other things out there. Red Cross, Habitat for Humanity. I would actually be one with all of our problems that would say, you know, the United States government actually has done a lot of good in this world. They've done a lot of good in this world. They've done a lot of good in the United States And there's a lot of good there. And so we we would say, well, not all of the good being done is by the church and by Christians. But you know what's interesting, folks? This is true throughout history and it's true on every square inch of the planet today. Wherever you find governments that do good and wherever you find secular agencies, and I'm I'm not using secular in a negative way. I'm just saying a a non-religious, non-religious oriented agency. Wherever you find those that are doing good, They are always in places, they're always in countries that have been profoundly affected by Christianity. You see, not only can we affect great good, we even move others to do good. We're a great force for good. And yeah, sometimes that means, as has been said recently, we've got to wade out there into the swamp of politics. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and we lift up to you President Trump and and Vice President Pence. We lift up to you our Supreme Court, our Congress. We lift up to you Governor McAuliffe. We lift up to you our our state assembly. Lord, I think it's kind of exciting we get to lift up a a potential new Speaker of the House and Kirk Cox, a, a member of our church here. God, we we lift up to you these and there are many others and we pray for them, Father. I I pray that they know you and that they're walking with you and that they're, they're drawing wisdom and strength from you. Lord, in those agencies, those people I just mentioned, if there are any there that are not followers of Christ, I pray they would become a follower of Christ. I pray you're moving and working in their life right now, bringing people, bringing events and situations that will ultimately lead them to lift their eyes up to Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that you would surround them, believer or unbeliever, I pray you would surround them with good counsel, godly counsel, that that will result in in evil being punished and good flourishing. That that God would create an environment that's as as easy as possible for us to take on the challenges of, of living for you and following you. And Lord, as we lift up to you all these governments, I pray we are faithful. That God, each of us individually, we're faithful to think about how we move into our world. Our school this week, our government, our, our neighborhood, our job. And we think about the influence that we have there. And God, I pray that every one of us, that our heart beats to influence somewhere. So at the end of the day, they look up to heaven and they praise you. At the end of the day, they look to Jesus Christ and they call him Savior. Oh God, may we each one know individually how we do that. And God, would you keep the church unified, keep us together, keep the we, the we, so that we individually can be salt and light. We ask for your help in this, in the name of Jesus Christ, amen, amen.